knowing how like what those people are really feeling or understanding that the diversity of feelings is super crucial when creating policy and law that addresses them and how we can help people kind of achieve justice because that might not look the same for everybody. Hey everyone, welcome back to Oh My Curry Goodness. My name is Hamza Islam, and on this podcast, I talk to some of the most interesting Gen Zers, regardless of what field they're pursuing, about their story, their journey, and the things that have shaped them into the person they are today. And one of the things that I hope that each listener takes away from each guest on this podcast is your, the inspiration behind what they do and understanding that they're going to create, they're going to do really amazing things, and you can too. It doesn't matter what your background is or who you are, where you come from, you're capable of doing something special and also being okay to be open and honest about ourselves because that's something that we struggle with as Gen Zers. We we sometimes struggle to just be ourselves, be authentic, be vulnerable. And on this podcast, being able to talk to some of the coolest people of my generation, I hope that you're able to uh, understand that it's okay to be a human being because we all have unique stories and that's what makes us special. So I really do hope that you continue to support this podcast and starting with this episode or the past episodes. Now, my guest this week is Sophia Southey, who is a human rights activist, passionate learner and world explorer who has worked for different organizations such as the World Bank, the UN Refugee Agency, and many other organizations. In addition, her work has allowed her to go all across the world. In fact, a interesting fact about her is that she has traveled to over 100 countries, which I'm sure we're definitely going to talk about. And so I really want to be able to learn more about her story, learn about what she's learned as she has gone to all these countries, and if she ever has any interest in potentially going to all 195 or so countries. So nevertheless, I know that was a long introduction, but Sophia, welcome to Oh My Curry Goodness. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited um, and very honored by that intro. So I'm really into how the conversation goes. And just as a quick side note, listening to your intro, um, how really anybody can do good in whatever specific field, it's something that I'm really, really passionate about. Um, Whether you're going into architecture or finance law or literally anything, I think it's really important to be able to uh, kind of input that level of goodness into whatever works. So I'm glad that you are making this podcast and have this as your mission. So again, just really, really honored to be a part of it. Yeah, thank you so much. It's it's interesting because I'm constantly trying to figure out how to make the introduction the best. And so sometimes I find myself overthinking or sometimes stuttering and I just want to make it perfect. But then I feel like if I'm being perfect, then I'm not being human because I mean, it's just it's all about being authentic and uh, understanding that we're bound to make mistakes. But I do try my best to have to give my guests the best introduction. Um, so I really do appreciate it. I <laughs> I first want to do talk about your the fact that you've traveled to over 100 countries and it's insane that this is that this is something you've actually done so i do want to ask i want to address the elephant in the room last time i checked i mean and i could be wrong there are over 195 countries 
is that is one of your goals in your life to travel to every single country or is it just let me just enjoy i'm not really worried about traveling to every country so that's a really good question i don't think that i ever wanted to go to every country and i still don't um, i'm currently calling in from saudi arabia which is somewhere that i actually never thought that i was going to visit and didn't really want to necessarily but opportunities I ended up coming so it's one of those places that I'm really open to whatever opportunities come my way. I've been very very lucky to grow up in a family that really prioritized travel um, my with NGOs and the UN on like environmental fronts and my mother is a poet and an author so her work in poetry used to take her around the world so I got to tag along from a really young age. And so travel was really fundamental to our lives, to who we were. Um, so when I graduated high school, my parents were very much encouraging to say, get out of the house, go to other places. Um, I had the opportunity to, as an American in France, you're like, oh my God, I have to go everywhere. I'm in Europe. And so you really, I try to take advantage of that. All the buses, all the trains, the Euro Trail deals, um, and so I've just tried to to really prioritize travel whenever I can, while being pretty much a full time student for the past six years. Um, yeah, and I love it. I I know that I will not have the opportunity to travel as I do forever. Hopefully, I can put it in my work in some capacity. So in the meantime, I try to do as much of it as I can. You've obviously been to so many countries, but I do want to ask, is there a particular country that you haven't been to that's on your list? Like, is there one where you're like, I really want to go here, whether that's just be for personal experiences or because of your work? Like, is there a specific country or a set of countries that you're like, I really want to go there? I have always really wanted to go to for two reasons. For the two big places on my list right now are Nepal just because I think it's beautiful, because I want to be able to do whitewater rafting and trekking and the things that I'm super into. But like the, the number one place I want to go to in my whole world is Iran, um, mostly because I'm super obsessed with the Islamic architecture of the region. I had the opportunity to go to Central Asia, so like Uzbekistan, and see the mosques and madrasas there. And I just fell in love with it. And I know that as beautiful as that was, Iran just take that to the next level um and i took a few classes on iranian religion and politics and i'd be really interested to explore it actually i had a visa to go for last summer but it got revoked because they did research on my dad who and they said that he has too much environmental work who knows what that means um but so those are the two big places that i really really would love to visit and there's a whole bunch of other places that i have my eye on but those are the two big ones right now i definitely want to talk about the middle east later on because uh one of the things that really sparked my interest uh as i got to learn a little bit about you was you your passion for um middle east and like and its cultures I want to start talking about the beginning in the sense that you were someone who had an interest in law from an early age. And it, it what's, what's different about me was it took me a while, like when I say a while, I mean like senior year of high school to determine where, what I wanted to do and where my passions lie. 
But the interesting, but one of the cool things about you is that you found something you're really interested in coming from an early age. When it comes to picking our passions, interests, career fields, whatever that may be, what stuck out about law? And was there, was it, was it one of those things where it's like, maybe you had interest in other fields and then law stuck out? Or was it more of just the moment I was, uh, the moment I entered into this field as an, as as an, from an early age, like I was just invested in this field. Like what was, what was that journey like? Yeah, actually. So I will say law was not my number one. Like what I really, I was super passionate about like human rights, international work, um, Middle Eastern refugees in particular. I knew that I wanted to go into a field that really would allow me to, kind of help work in policy and especially in terms of like refugee work. Um, after high school, I honestly, I read some Noam Chomsky books. I got very angry at the world. I decided to take a gap year to go work in Jordan. Um, and then there I was working for UN agency for Palestinian refugees. And that really taught me a lot of the more like the intricacies of the situation rather than just this aim that I had beforehand, um, which then got me to go pursue a dual program uh, between Sciences Po and Colombia for my undergrad degree. And that was again focused on Middle Eastern politics um, and human rights, but it wasn't really, I wasn't impassioned about law. Actually in high school, I took one class in constitutional law and I dropped out because I hated it so much. Um, but when I started undergrad, I always remember thinking I had like five directions that I was interested in going in, which is journalism, state like US State Department foreign policy work, NGOs, United Nations, okay, six, think tanks. And, and so I, to get internships or experience in each one of those fields, or at least take classes and do things. And I was lucky enough that I, I was able to do that. I had chances where I got to work with the UN, with the State Department, with NGOs, with law firms, blah, blah, blah. Um, and all of them made me feel a little bit icky in different ways, or I realized that there was problems with the system, or I wouldn't be able to actually make the differences that I wanted to. My time with the UN was particularly kind of discouraging, especially because the agency that I was working with had not a lot of, there's no funding and the people who they were supposed to be protecting, it was so political and so politicized that it was kind of devastating to see. And so I, I decided not that direction. And then throughout other like work in like government and policy, I, I just decided I didn't want to go work for the US government in any capacity. Um, but there was one summer where I worked with a group called the Public International Law and Policy Group, which is like a pro bono law firm that works on like, peace negotiations and transitional justice. And I was able to work with lawyers working in Syria, supporting Syrian op opposition groups um, on government reform. And it totally blew my mind. And this was a whole new world of law that I didn't really know existed. And it wasn't the law that I remember in high school, which was in a court prosecuting or doing anything like that or being a judge. It was so much more connected to the people 
and the policy and working on like a, a government level. And it totally changed my perspective on law and what I wanted to do. And then from that moment on, I said, law, this is it. This is what I want to do. Yeah, I, I can't imagine like that. It, it's it's weird because like there are there are certain things where you're like, there are things you like about the, the fields you're in and then there's things you don't like about the fields you're in. But as long as you have that passion and it's something it's coming from like, I want to do this rather than I have to do this. It's always a great sign. And mm -hmm. I do want to ask you though, um, look, what are some of the things you like about human act or as a human activist or human rights activist excuse me and what i mean and the thing i want to talk about specifically is more about like not necessarily the work you do but like the things that come with the work that you do and so for example one of the things so i interviewed a professional soccer player and she competed in youth world cups growing up and so sometimes she would be able to go around all over the world to compete in these world cups and so like one of the things she really liked about being involved in that being involved is not only to represent her national team, but also learn about the different cultures, learn about the Middle East, learn about different cities, different countries, and how it's different from what people would say in like the news and the media. And I'm sure as someone who's got to spend time in the Middle East, you obviously know the experience better than what people say in the, in the media. But uh, in terms of like what human, like uh, what your, field and human rights activism has helped you get exposed to what are some of the things you really like about that aspect i don't know if that made sense but it's more like like the outside things that have come with as opposed to like or you can even just say like what are some of the things that you just like about your your passion in general yeah i mean there's so many things that i can touch on here that I, I don't even know where to start um i would say that one of the coolest things is that this kind of goes back to the travel is that being able to work in different cultures, like it's not just like this work and this activism uh, angle has allowed me to not only just like ooh, travel for fun, but really get to meet people from different communities and talk about what those issues are. And the coolest thing is that you realize like how, of course, different people are, but how fundamentally similar we are. Um, I, I have a very innate sense of, of, that people are good from the work that I've done. And I see how much people care. And I don't think this is just me being like an optimistic person. Like when you talk to so many people, even those who aren't in the field, there are things that they care about and you can understand that by really having those connections. And so I feel like, again, so privileged to be able to have talked to people from so many different places on so many different things and that people really want the best um, for peace, for themselves. So like, there's a, a lack of selfishness that I am very lucky to have seen in a lot of these situations. Um, but again, like in the world of activism as well, just even on the ground, like people like me, the uh, like other Americans, students like that, there is a really big passion. And I'm super encouraged by the direction that things are going in, in like our generation. I think there's way more talk about like solutions and people are caring and thinking creatively about how that might look like. And so like I have a lot of friends doing community activism and like organizing on the ground and looking more at how that might combine with top down efforts, how we can then combine legal things with 
like more grassroots efforts. Um, I think it's really encouraging and cool to see. One of the things that I have learned, um, just, I mean, from, especially with this podcast is just understanding a person's perspective uh, in, in terms of like when I, when I interact with guests. And I think that idea still is still important wherever you go, because like you said, um, everyone is, you have, it's not you being optimistic. It's just that you feel like everyone has good in them. And even though there are differences compared to the United States, there's a lot of similarities. And I think it's, it's really important for people to understand, understand different cultures because people can be angry the same way people in the United States are angry. Like they're not, they're not angry because of like to cause harm. I feel like in the Middle East, a lot of people think that when they're angry, they're like, they're dangerous, but it's like, no, there are people in the United States that get angry if you cut them in traffic. Like it's, 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 it's one of those things. So I do hope that people actually are people, if there's one thing I will hope people understand or people can take away from just meeting different people, different cultures is to understand a person's perspective because their vision of the world is not the same as yours. Even if you had the same experiences, there's always something different. And then being understanding, because again, you know, what you see is different from what I may see and what others may see will be different from what you and I will see. So learning about different cultures and environment, different cultures and perspectives is really important. And I think once we do that, and I don't know, I mean, you probably know this better than I do. I think we can definitely eliminate those stereotypes and the, those biases that people may have towards certain people. Yeah. And this is one of the most interesting things. Like my, I come from a Jewish family. I'm not religious, but like culturally, I'm Jewish. And then like I was working in the Middle East and Palestinians um, and people would say to me like, oh, like I'm guessing you like would hide it or like you wouldn't tell anybody. Like, no, like people don't care. Like people are happy as long as you're trying to help and like they will assume the best intentions. And when people are angry, it's not because, oh, they're mad at me for being Jewish. There's There's a lot of anger at like historical circumstances that have done been done to people's families on both sides there's a lot of issues um but I just think that it's like really important to understand that these things are way more nuanced anger and at, at nothing or at an identity reason people really have their reasons and I've been it's been really interesting for me throughout my academic and professional career to be able to understand those reasons in a way more nuanced level than even if you read into a book. Like everybody has their different perspective and being able to understand that also not everybody's angry about the same thing. Everybody has their different reasons for acting as they do is, is super important, especially if somebody wants to go into the kind of like a, a policy direction of law. Um, knowing how like what those people are really feeling or understanding that the diversity of feelings is super crucial when creating policy and law that addresses them and how we can help people kind of achieve justice because that might not look the same for everybody one of the most common questions i've been asking my guests lately is um the kind of pressure you put on yourself and so whether that be 
the pressure because of who you're representing. Maybe it's the name that you have. So like, for example, I spoke to someone whose name means um, helper of mankind. And so one of the questions I asked him was, well, how much pressure do you put yourself in knowing that, or like how much pressure do you put on yourself in hopes of, I guess, living up to that name on a daily basis? Uh, another example would be my name. So in Arabic, Hamza means warrior, steadfast, strong. And I'm going to be honest with you. If someone says a negative comment about me, I don't, I definitely don't break down. Um, I'm kidding. No, but I definitely feel, I'm like, oh no, why did they say about me? So I do want to ask like from like a more personal level, what are some of the things, what are some of the pressures you put on yourself and how do you deal with them? Because as amazing of, of your passion for activism and the fact that you've traveled to different countries, worked with some uh, important organizations. I also forgot to mention that you, uh, I think you graduated from Columbia University, which is an Ivy League school. And obviously people will have these assumptions that because you graduated from an Ivy League school that you know everything in some sense. So what are some of the pressures that you put on yourself or like, I guess, like, what kind of, like, how do you deal with the negativity that you put on? And of course, that can mean anything. Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, also, as a fun fact, my name is actually an Arabic name. That means purity of spirit and soul, which is something that I used to also put on myself, being like, there's some some things you got to work through there in terms of having a purity of spirit. Um, I never felt like I ne needed to to live up to that in particular, but um, I think that because I grew up with worked in a humanitarian sphere, and I was able to see a lot of the things I was able to, I felt that because I had those opportunities. Um, I had a responsibility to do something about it or to be able to use the privileges that I had to at least help redistribute that power a little bit. Um, and then still, like, it, it's a lot of, I put pressure on myself to try to be better, but I've also tried to find a balance with that. I used to be an extremely anxious person that I was about like, oh, I had to be the best or I had to be like, do these certain things, get that A plus, whatever. Um, but actually, so my undergrad program at Columbia was for non-traditional students. And that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because I met a lot of people who came from different parts of their lives, dropped out of school, came back to school. They were models, musicians, single moms, military veterans. And you understand that everybody is incredible. Um, whether or not they have A pluses and things like people have their own experiences in life and that you don't need to rush through or get that A plus. It's all about you trying to do better every day. And I was having a conversation with somebody about this literally like two days ago in a hostel um, about person and putting the pressure on yourself to how do you know you're being a good person? And I'll repeat what I said then, which is that I don't think that anybody could live life without sin. I've been really anxious lately about my own sustainability, where I'm like, oh, I can't buy things because I don't know how it's affecting people. I need to know like the labor conditions or the toxins or what this is doing. Um, but the fact that I've started to think about that more 
And the fact that I'm now putting in more effort to address that, that's what matters. And those are the things that I think kind of both relieves the pressure and helps that, knowing that I am pushing myself to be better, but giving myself the permission that I will not be perfect. And so it's not to be like, you don't need to push through and force anything and be a billionaire at 30. You all want to do is make positive impacts as much as I can. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm going to try the best I can in whatever ways that I can. But also giving my permission, myself permission to enjoy my own life at the same time. Because even though, because in saying that I don't, I want to help relieve the suffering of other people, doesn't mean that I have to suffer too in ways. It's all a balance. And that's something that I'm trying to, again, come to terms with, with my own anxiety and my own kind of like need to be perfect, saying it's all okay. Things are a balance. We have to work towards things every day. And you should still enjoy those days, even if you're pushing towards something better. That, if that makes any sense. I tend to ramble a little bit. <laughs> no, everything you just said uh, made total sense. And you mentioned something, um, the question, how do I know if I'm being a good person? That is one of the most difficult questions out there. We can, we can ask ourselves. It's up there with how do we define success? What is our purpose in life? How do we know if what we're doing is right? How can we, how can we, like, these are really difficult questions to ask. It sounds easy, but it's really not. And I do want to ask, like, when it, when it comes to activism, people think of activists as those making headlines. Um, people think of the Greta Thunbergs in the world. Um, and I think sometimes people care about the publicity. Sometimes, like, like when, when, I, that que- when I was thinking about that question, how do we know if we're doing the right thing? Sometimes it's like, as long as someone's noticing the work that we do, then we're doing something right. And you've obviously been in a lot of articles talking about your journey and just uh, what it was, what it's like to be human rights activist. What, how, how do you try to tell other people that the true definition of success or the fact that as long as you're advocating for something, you are doing something right? Because there are a lot of activists in the world, but sometimes it's like, well, Am I doing the right thing? Um, no one's really recognizing me for the work that I do. But even then, like you just said, it's as long as you're doing the right thing, it's that's all that matters. But I, I guess I know I'm rambling too, but like, how do you try to tell, like, how do you try to convince other people that what you just said is the most important thing at the end of the day? I think it's so hard. I think it's so hard because also in the world of activism, I think it gets really tied up with also personal worth. And a lot of people think that it's about and people are doing it for other people, but also for themselves. And I'm not like I'm I'm sure that a lot of the work I do is is to boost myself in some way as well. So I'm not going to try to say that I'm I'm not that either. But I think it's a important to have your priorities straight and to be hard for everybody to be recognized and that a lot of the best people or the people who are doing the most work are the ones not being recognized 
sorry about that. My father decided that would be a good time to knock on my door. Um, anyways, I was saying that, uh, to go back to what I was saying, I think it's really important to know, to, to consider where your own self-worth is coming from and not to have that external validation. A lot of the ways that I like to do things, these small challenges that I set for myself. And so that might not always be about work, but it's like this year I really wanted to get really good at Spanish. And that was a challenge that I made for myself. I wanted to get to like a certain level. Um, and I think that working on these like smaller challenge bases, it gives me the validation that I need to know that I'm working towards something without necessarily needing outside confirmation of that work. And I know that isn't necessarily about activism, but as somebody who does need a little bit of that boost saying like, I'm doing something and I, I have the confirmation that I'm working towards something, it's all, it's a very long process. I, when I was younger, I didn't know if I was gonna go, I was like, I'm gonna go save all the Palestinian refugees. <laughs> or solve conflict in the Middle East for all these things. And that's not gonna happen. But the fact is, is huge goals for ourselves isn't reasonable. And so the only thing that you can do is consider what are your own personal sets of success? What does success look like for you? What do you need as an individual? And knowing that, and just recognizing that that's all that matters is that if, you're working for that external validation, then you're not necessarily going to be working for the same things that will actually help people in the end. You're right. I think it is, it is really important to learn to just focus on focusing on yourself rather than focusing on what other people are doing. And I, I want to do talk about, cause I know um, you are obviously busy traveling all over the world. Some of the one of the things I do want to talk about is I want to bring back the the topic of passion, and more specifically, one of the things I've spoken to other guests on this podcast is almost treating your passion almost as like your like your spouse or your kid in the sense that like just because you're passionate about something, it doesn't mean everything is going to be a hundred percent going your way. And a question that I've always wanted to ask, so I'm going to ask you, and hopefully this this makes sense, is. Oftentimes our passions, the, we don't look at passion as everything going our way. There are certain things that we don't like, but we know that we have to do in order to continue doing what we do. So I do want to ask you, what are some of the things that you don't like about your passion, but you know you have to do in order to better yourself or uh, better your, your vision or your why in some sense? Yeah. I love that analogy. I'm going to use that forever about it, treating your passion like your spouse. Because as somebody who I just got married a month ago, um, I know that relationships are at work. And just like that, like your passion is work and you can love it. And I think that that's the really difficult thing about, about pursuing your passion as your career. Because it's something that you love, but then also it's so complicated and difficult and then you start hated at times um but then at the end it's what you care about so you have to keep going um and I think that's why it's a lot of it's really complicated and so two things number one um law school 
not something that I particularly love. Um, I really am interested in law as a thing, but uh, so I'm going to be starting at Columbia Law School in the fall after I just finished my master's at LSE. Again, I'm a forever student and I will just keep racking them up until finally I I uh, get the full-time job of my dreams. Um, but American law school doesn't really cater to that international human rights law or politics realm, especially Columbia, which is a heavily corporate environment. And I know that the will be very in line with that. But like sometimes you have to do the things, you have to go through the process of going to law school because you know it's going to get you where you need to go. And that's something that I've kind of reconciled with myself. Um, it's not always, but that's what it is. Other things that make me in the same kind of mind thinking, I'm going to law school and I know that uh, everybody else who graduated from Columbia is going to be making a lot more than me in six figures and that as somebody who wants to do human rights and NGO work that's something that I'm not going to have the opportunity to do so and I think that it's very sad NGO world that we do not pay the people who are doing that kind of work um, the same level as we do people going into corporate and big business it makes sense but I think there's also a culture in the NGO human rights world that you are supposed to sacrifice everything for this bigger cause. And that's something that sometimes makes me uncomfortable because I think that it is important in all these realms to have a balance in your life. As I said before, you need to enjoy it. Like you can do activism and pursue your life to try and work and like in support of other people and help. But that does not mean you have to suffer. And I think that gets really, really complicated in this field. And there's a lot of um, martyrdom where people think that they need to kind of give up everything in pursuit of that. Um, and I hope that that shifts with time. I think that with more, again, our generation is pushing against that a lot more than I think the past has. And I hope that there are differences in payment maybe one day, but again, human rights doesn't really pay. Um, but yeah, so education sometimes not always great and you do have to make sacrifices, but I'm hoping that in the end that that culture also kind of balances through and that there is a work-life balance, which would be nice in the end. For sure, staying connected, I find that you, there are things that you don't like about what you do. And then it's funny because I feel like in a way you also answered my next question or next thought, which is how do you, what prevents you from giving up? And you just, you talked about how, even though there are things you don't like, the the fact that you are so passionate about just helping other people is the most important thing or one of the most important things to you. And um, I also want to give like a slight congratulations. I, I know I'm like a month late, but congratulations on getting married. Um, <laughs> um, so before I let you go, I do want to ask, because you obviously mentioned you've got to be a part of some, or you got to live in countries such as Pal Palestine, Jordan, and meet with some of the people. And I do want to be able to ask you, like, what have been, what have been some of the most, or well, a couple of questions. One, what have been, what is it like to interact with these people? Um, just because again, like people with the Middle East, they have, or 
if you're not in the Middle East, they have these unfair assumptions. And then secondly, have there been any discussions or conversations you've had with with uh, people, regardless if it's uh, Palestine, Jordan, or even anywhere, where after meeting with them or working with them, it just kind of changed your perspective? Obviously, going to different cultures or learning about different cultures is one thing, but being able to experience firsthand or like, yeah, experience firsthand what they're saying or what they're doing. If is there one, if there's like a moment where you're like, it just changed your life or perspective forever. I know that's kind of extreme, but like, you get what I'm trying to say. It's like, like there was like event and there was an event where you're like, wow, like I'm going to remember this for the rest of my life. Yeah. I, I don't think that I had any particular moment that was totally mind changing. I think that when I first moved to Jordan and I got to actually work in the refugee camps, that was really interesting for me and kind of jarring in a lot of ways because you would see how there's these communities that have been there for generations and generations and are still in these kind of halfway between temporary homes. They're not tents, but they're still in these camps that are written with like bullet holes in these lives and they don't have access to running water. They're still dependent on a lot of like um, Israeli soldiers and occupying forces for the necessities that they need, which still get cut off from the like care of them. And so actually witnessing those communities and what that looked like really helped me process the historical impacts or like the actual impacts of the history that happened there. I think that being able to witness that was crucial for me in then what went on to a lot of my more professional work and my studies. Um, I did my undergrad dissertation on uh, the plight of Palestinian refugees and the concept of repatriation and resettlement and what that actually looks like. And being able to see the reality on the ground really helps you understand what that situation manifests as. Um, so I was really grateful for that and understanding the necessity for justice and this kind of legal way of saying that the fundamentals of international law that we have were being violated in a lot of ways, but people didn't care because of the political circumstances involved. So it also really helped me process that connection between law and politics. Now, in some cases, law just gets disregarded. Um, the next summer, I came back and I wanted to go work in a refugee camp in Northern Jordan for the summer because I thought that's how I would be best utilized. I was like, I really want to work with people and help out. Um, and that was one of the actually most life-changing experiences for me, which was not what you would think. Um, just I realized that I was useless. In that situation, me being on the ground with my crappy Arabic, not knowing as much as the people who were trained to be there, I was so much better suited to be helping write the engineering advocacy from behind a desk or like working with people. And it really helped me process that there's a lot of different roles out there and we need to prioritize local people and local knowledge in actually helping facilitate that because they know so much more about how to do things. 
And I think a lot of people our age think like, I need to go help out on the ground and volunteer and do things, which I think is crucial. I think it's really important to see things on the ground so you understand what it means and talk to people. But I also think it's necessary to understand where our talents are and that sometimes we need to actually help empower local communities and facilitate that to make sure that the grassroots organizations that are already there and doing that have the resources and facilities they need because they know so much better. And that was huge for me in saying, this is not my place. I have better, like, I, I can help call to prayers happening. Um, there's a lot better ways that I can utilize my skills in pursuit and in support of these communities while also championing those who are already on the ground. And that was really one of the biggest on me and kind of pushed me forward throughout my career and saying, that's what I want to do is find a mold between those two, find being able to figure out how I can connect those people on the ground with the resources of the West that create a very sustainable situation that's both top down and bottom up. And that's where I kind of started thinking about all this stuff. For sure. It's, it's interesting. You mentioned how local communities and working with um, the people that live in these communities, they're, it's, it's important to listen to them. And it's funny because I've interacted with a few Gen Z politicians. I don't know why I said Gen Z. I've interacted with a few uh, politicians on this podcast, whether that be representatives, uh, mostly represent, like, yeah, mostly representatives, or if not all representatives. And one of the things they really emphasize is the importance of local activism or focusing on what's happening in cities rather than focusing on like in the United States, for example, the national level. Because yes, what happens at the national level is important, but more importantly, what's happening locally is even more important because it's these communities that are being affected by the decisions being made. Um, my last question before I let you go is there are a lot of people who are can sometimes be hesitant to travel because of what we kind of talked about, like the stereotypes and everything. And whether that be in the Middle East or different parts of the world, for a lot of us, we tend to think of the worst case scenario, which is understandably fair. I mean, I, it, it's for whatever reason. So as someone who's traveled to 110 countries, how do you try, how do you try to convince people to be okay with traveling to different parts of the world? Yes, there's obviously, um, you know, uncertainty and fears that those are understandable. And I'm sure you had those when you, whenever you go to a new country, but at the end of the day, it is still a really great experience to learn about people from those different countries and cultures. Yeah, I love this question because I get so much concern, so much everything. Um, and I forgot to mention this earlier, but like I remember when I first moved to Jordan, like the guy I was dating at a time, the mom sent me with his mom sent me. She was very sweet, but with like hair conditioner and tampons and all this stuff because she's like, you won't be able to get that there. Like they're not gonna have it. Um, and of course, they just yeah, Jordan has everything under the sun. Um, misconceptions and i'd say number one like if you just learn about a place talk to people you realize that everywhere is so 
so much more similar than you think. Um, you can get your favorite brand of shampoo and conditioner in any Middle Eastern country. I I promise you that. Um, but I'd say it's like people are so much better than we give them credit for. Um, I started hitchhiking this past year in mostly uh, Morocco and West Africa. That goes like Mauritania, Senegal. terrified when I say that and throughout the past few weeks I've been hitchhiking solo through uh, Cambodia and Vietnam and people really get very nervous when I say that and I'd say that those experiences have taught me more than anything that like people are fundamentally good people are so so good like the human race is an incredible group of people that of course they do very bad things but those people on the ground want to help you want to talk to you and it's not just me this is something that I hear from everybody like even if people don't speak the language everybody is going to try to help you and that's a promise that I can make traveling is one of the most incredible things in the world because you get to experience other worlds and interact with people and even if you can't speak the language you at least get to witness it it is some of the most eye-opening things And I'm never going to say that, like, there's a moment in my travel that really, like, I found myself or changed the world. And I I personally grapple with, like, moments of awe. Um, I try to cultivate that, but it's it's hard for me. But I will say the biggest thing about travel that has helped me is understand the fundamental goodness of people and understand that people deserve way more than we give them. Um, and also not, and just to say that like the, any prejudices that we have about it's probably all just a construction of rumors or things. And it really helps you get rid of those prejudices. As soon as you start traveling and understanding that things are a lot better than you think they are. Um, yeah. So get out there, do things and go wild. Maybe don't start by hitchhiking, but I promise that it, it's all it's all very good. Also, like I, I grew up in a neighborhood that was considered dangerous. My friends in school weren't allowed to come see me or come to my neighborhood. And I think that really helped me kind of question a lot of those conceptions when people were like, that place is dangerous. I was like, well, people would say that where I live is dangerous, but I know that people are good. Like, so I don't, I don't understand where this comes from. And it, I would go out with a sense of determination almost to prove people wrong. And every single place I have been proven that like people are wrong and that in general, people are good in the world. So that's, that's all I can say. Encourage people to travel, encourage people to learn and read as much as you can. And if you're nervous about it, send me a text, ask my advice. I don't care. DM me. Um, happy to talk about travel or life for absolutely anything at any point in time. <laughs> oh, I, I love that. Yeah, people are fundamentally good and it's all about learning about different perspectives. So these are really important things and I hope that more pe- people uh, continue to do that in the future. But Sophia, um, I just want to say thank you so much for joining the podcast. I know you are in Saudi Arabia, so I know it's getting relatively late there, but nevertheless, Thank you so much for sharing your story, your experiences, and for telling for uh, talking to us about how it's okay to learn about different cultures and understanding that 
people are good and you know perspectives are different uh one perspective is not the same as another and i think uh these are really important things to acknowledge when we learn about different cultures no problem thank you for having me sorry for the crappy internet and lighting um so i appreciate you accommodating me forever and i'm super excited for everything you do on this podcast um and excited to listen to more of your episodes upcoming here from cool gen z so thank you thank you guys so much for listening to this episode if you guys like what you saw be sure to subscribe to this podcast on apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcast you can also follow us on instagram at the omcg podcast for more information on guests preview clips and more please continue to support this podcast in the future and i can't wait to see you guys in the next episode